You're listening to Canadian IP Voices, a podcast where we talk intellectual property with a range of professionals and stakeholders across Canada and abroad. Whether you are an entrepreneur, artist, inventor, or just curious, you will learn about some of the real problems and get real solutions for how trademarks, patents, copyrights, industrial designs, and trade secrets work in real life. I'm Lisa Deschardins, and I'm your host. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual podcasters and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Canadian Intellectual Property Office. If you are considering open source software for your next coding project, then this episode is for you. Open source software can be a great tool to boost your coding production and even be used as a way to make money. But it comes with a set of criteria and a license, and you need to be aware of both as they determine what exactly can happen to whatever you do with the open source software. Because even if the code is yours under copyright, you may need to share it for free without any limitations. In this episode, which is a little bit longer than usual, you'll hear from Jules Godin, lawyer and IP expert at Rubik in Montreal. Jules will explain what exactly is meant by open source software and some of the key considerations, pitfalls and best practices for both users and providers of open source software. Jules, I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. There's so much to learn in this field. But before we start, would you mind talking a little bit about yourself and the kind of work you do in relation to open source? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a pleasure uh, being here and speaking about open source. I mean, it's a, it's an important topic that I feel is going to be more and more prevalent in uh, software and in artificial intelligence in the coming years, especially in Canada. I'm a lawyer in uh, intellectual property and technology at Robic. I assist my clients with anything regarding uh, technology. So it's a vast topic. It can relate to either trademarks, uh, copyrights, contracts, litigation. Uh, usually where there is uh, some kind of technological components, uh, people tend to think about me and, and be like, oh, maybe Jules has some technical knowledge that might be useful. I also tend to to work with anything relating to, to open source, whether it's creating open source policies, we'll discuss that uh, a bit later, or whether it's uh, reviewing the different open source materials that are currently being used in, in proprietary software or solution, and how it might affect your rights, your IP rights, or the different kind of open source uh, licenses that are available to you that you could use with your business or with your solution. Or even sometimes it's just raising the topic when you are creating a new solution or trying to license it and maybe uh, I'd say raise the flag about some issues that might be uh, related to this topic uh, with your commercialization and, and distribution of a software. So you're talking about licensing and open source, and I think it's starting to become clear that we are talking about open source as a as a business tool and, and a product. But would you mind explaining what exactly is open source? Yeah, what is open source? I think it's a, it's a good question and a vast one, because rather than having a very static definition of what is open source, uh, over the years, we pretty much can instead rely on different criteria that have been created and used by different organizations working in the field. The ones that I tend to use are the ones created by the Open Source Initiative, OC, a nonprofit that was created in 1998. And their goal was to promote the open source licenses and open source software. If we look at the 10 criteria listed by OC, maybe that gives us some 
I'd say, clues as to what can be a open source license. First and foremost, and I think that's one of the, the biggest, I think, criteria with any kind of open source license, there should be free redistribution. It means that there should be no restriction to sell, uh, give away the software or the component that is uh, licensed with said open source license, whether it is distributed as a component of an aggregate software distribution that contains other software from other third parties. And it should not force you to obtain any kind of royalty or fee for such sale or such distribution. So it should be really a free redistribution of the software, no restriction. The second one is the fact that software, the software that you dis that you that you are currently distributing with the, with this license, should also include the source code of said uh, said software. So when you are Providing the software with an open source license, you can provide it as an executable, as, a, as an object code. But at some point, you should also provide the source code of said software. Usually, it's from a practical standpoint, it's even recommended that you are providing it as a source code materials because it's usually the, the best tool to make sure that you can modify the software, redistribute it, change it, integrate it with other solution. But if you do not distribute it directly in source code, at some point, there should be a way, a publicized way to obtain the source code and it should not be deliberately obfuscated. Most of the time, people tend to use the solution of including in their technical documentation a link or uh, a form that you can fill out to obtain the source code for uh, their open source software. Third, there should be some criteria, a criteria relating to derived works, because the open source software that you are currently using, uh, you should be allowed to modify it and create derived works from it. And you should be also able to distribute the, the modified software that you created under the same term of the open source license, or sometimes under the terms of a different license. But most of the time, the main idea is that you should be able to modify and redistribute the open source software. The fourth criteria is usually the, an easy one. There should be the integrity of the author's source code. So the license may restrict the source code from being distributed in modified form only if the license allows the distribution of patch files with the source code, just to make sure that it allows the modification of the source code at build time. It should also explicitly permit the distribution of software built from modified source code and it may require derived work to have a different name and number just to make sure that you are not passing off as the creator of the initial uh, open source software. But most of the time, those obligation requirements are not very difficult to agree. The fifth and sixth criteria goes hand to hand, usually in my mind, and it goes very well with the idea that open source should be open, free, uh, available for all. And it's the fact that there should be no discrimination against people or groups or against certain fields of endeavor. The, uh, the main idea is that you're providing the software with a license that allows everyone in every field for every use to use the software as a component. But the main idea is that you're providing it and anyone can do whatever they want with it. The seventh criteria is the distribution of the license. And the idea behind it is to make sure that open source licenses are simple to use. The idea behind it is to say that the right attached to the software 
must apply to anyone to whose program is redistributed without the need for them to execute an additional license, an additional license. So the main idea is that they kind of get the right because they get the software. And eighth criteria, the license should not be specific to a product. So you should not have the right to use the open source software because it is specifically part of a particular software distribution or hardware. And the two, the last two, uh, which are also very um, easy to accept and goes hand to hand with the idea that open source is open and free and accessible to everyone, is that the license must not restrict other software. So you should not prevent someone to distribute the open source software with other third-party softwares, uh, whether they are open source or not. And it must be uh, technology neutral. It should not prevent uh, the use of the software to be used with specific technology or interface. It should be open and as free as possible. So yeah, pretty much the general idea and feel that we have when we read those 10 criteria, at least for me, is the idea that it should be open easily accessible, easily modifiable. You should be able to do whatever you want with the software and redistribute it, whether in the in its original form or in its modified form. Those are the 10 criteria. It's not as straightforward as it sounds. But at the same time, we know that open source is still used in a commercial context. So can creators of open source actually make money of their software? Yes, absolutely. Because the main idea behind open source is that it's not a free-for-all. It's not because it's available for free that no one can make money out of it. Nothing in, in an open source license, at least with the criteria that we discussed before, would prevent you from selling an open source software. But what will happen is that, sure, you can sell the executable, you can sell it in object code. But at the same time, you should always make sure that you provide the source code and you should not restrict anyone buying the software from you from redistributing it and modifying it and redistributing it to any third party. So what happened is that you see sometimes people selling open source software, but what they are selling is more their server space to host the solution and providing it to you to download it pretty much. The best way and the one that we see the most, and I think that is the most profitable one, I mean, you can look at Oracle, Red Hat that are very successful doing that. Rather than selling the software itself, you sell services related to the solution that is otherwise available for free. And that can be support, that can be training. One of the ways that they also make money is that they create paid plugin or specific features for existing products. So for example, you can have text editors that is available for free for everyone under an open source license. But at the same time, you might be like, okay, but I need to integrate a very uh, a very specific uh, feature for transcription, uh, for automated transcription of text or, or video. So you go to Oracle, for example, and be like, okay, you, you're offering this very cool text editor, but I want to add this very specific function just for me. You pair them, they'll develop a proprietary plugin that you can insert in, in your software, giving you access to these new features. And that's how they make the money, by making sure that their solutions are very tailored to your need and to your specific requirements. One third way that they also tend to make money through is offering open source solution through software as a service. So rather than providing the software itself, you are pretty much providing access to the software, uh, to the function of the software through the internet. 
here we fall into a very specific question and discussion regarding open source where providing a software through fast services is not distribution per se so you are not obligated to provide the code source of said software it's a very specific question not resolved entirely and people have uh, have been like fighting over it for the past few years but the main idea is that rather than providing the software itself or you can sometimes provide the software itself and say hey by the way anyone can create their own saas service with my software it's it's free it's available for free you can modify it but if you are a very big company you might not want to rely on i'd say a small provider or even using your own server to set up the SaaS platform for your services. So you might be, oh, you are Red Hat, so you are a big company, you you know what you are doing, you have good server, you have good services, good training, good support. So rather than setting ourselves the SaaS service, we'll require your services and what you're paying for pretty much is, once again, the server services, is the creation of a specific space for your, for your company, maybe tailored to your needs, the support services and the warranties that they offer regarding access to the platform. And that's pretty much what they are offering their knowledge and expertise in the open source software that you can otherwise access freely. And maybe one last way to use truly open source software and make money out of it, it's not accessible to everyone, but it's becoming more and more useful, is GitHub sponsorship. So GitHub is a platform that allows you to, to distribute your open source softwares. And um, one way that they realize they can help support this, this project is by providing an opportunity for companies or even individual to sponsor said project. So they get to display their trademarks, their logos, their names, saying that they are a sponsor of specific products and they provide money for it. And all of the money that they, that they pay for said sponsorship is actually given to the people maintaining the project. So some people and some developers, whether they are a team, whether they are solo, are actually making good money using this sponsorship because they provide very useful solution for the entire open source community or, or I'd say the entire internet sometimes. Those, I'd say, are the most big commercial without the need to look at the license kind of way to make money. Because open source in itself can also be a tool that you can use to create proprietary solution. Not all licenses will require you to provide the, the open source of your proprietary solution. Those are called permissive licenses. And pretty much you can most of the time use the elements that are licensed this way to integrate them into your own solution, your own proprietary solutions that you can after that self without the need to provide the, the source code. Then open source become a very useful tool to create high value added development because you don't need to, for example, create from scratch and from zero an entire library. You can base some of your some of your solution on existing software or libraries that are well proven and that have been maintained for, for a while. And it reduces the time necessary and the cost to of code production because you can move faster to a finished product for a fraction of the cost. One other way that we also touched upon is a dual licensing model, which is an option that uh, tends to appear more and more, where you offer two versions of the same software, one free version under an open source license, 
usually with a copyleft mechanism, meaning that anyone can use your software, redistribute it, they can modify it. But if they modify it and distribute it, they need to provide the open source under the same open source license that you've used, meaning that you could still see what they've been doing with your code and maybe take some inspiration as to what they created. And usually what, what happened is that it allows I'd say small clients or single users to try your software, maybe sometimes train on it and being familiar as with it so that if they want to switch, they know that it's an option. And at the same time, you provide a paid version of the software and this time under proprietary license. And that would allow bigger clients to obtain a license, a specific license that allow them to use the software or even integrate it within their own solution without any kind of risk for their for their own source code because they wouldn't need to provide it to anyone. So that's kind of the the dual model that we tend to see appearing more and more. And usually it's sometimes used as a way to attract potential customer where you offer kind of like this free open source trial where, sure, let's try my software, see how it works, maybe try to see how it would integrate with your solution. And when you are ready to, I'd say, go forward, you can pay for a specific license and obtain like the, the closed version, the full version, where you can do whatever you want with it without any kind of risk for your IP. Like I mentioned, there is also the open code model that we discussed a bit before, where you license most, I'd say, the core of your software under an open source license, meaning that anyone can use the core of your license and do whatever they want with it. And at the same time, you, you offer a very specific fraction of, of your code under a proprietary license, and for example, modules extension that users need to pay for. And sometimes it, it can create even a market of modules extension applications. And we see that, for example, with certain SaaS platform where most of the code is open source and people can create modules extension that they can then license under proprietary license to sell it to user. And it creates sometimes very thriving uh, markets for uh, developers that can make good banks by providing very a very short and small uh, small code to integrate with open source uh, solution. One good point to note with open source is that sometimes it can become what I call an indirect economic tool. We see big companies like big uh, actors in the tech field starting open source project by themselves or like participating in open source project because they either see it as a way to create an ecosystem around their solution to ensure that they remain the leader in the industry. It's something that people are using more and more as a tool to show that they are leader in the industry. They should stay the leader and make sure that everyone know what they are doing and are trained with their solution. It's also to create kind of um, a bond of trust with your users. Because when you create an open source product, you have access to, to different people who can like provide you with new innovative functions or features that you might have not even considered uh, that could be integrated in, in other, in other solutions. And you also have kind of an immediate feedback because 
as long as you push something forward, you'll have people review it, asking questions, maybe even offering some insights or some advices. So it kind of creates a, a direct bond of trust with your with your users, with your clients, where they can directly uh, give you feedback, even if they are not paying you for it. Maybe the, the last one, which can also be a risk, as we will see, is uh, that you mutualize risk management. Sometime when you provide code, it's hard to make sure that it's safe, that there is no liabilities, that there is no uh, issues, whether it's a bug, whether it's it's even a security breach. So sometimes having even third party look at your code and making sure that it's safe is a good way to use open source because you'll have thousands of people reviewing your code doing weird things with it <laughs> and maybe they'll, they'll notice things that you could not have even imagined so it's also a great tool for that to make sure that your review process of your code is is mutualized and less expensive i'd say thanks for for going through these different options when we talk about open source there's still an ownership component in terms of ip rights what is open source the software that you've created, you usually will have some copyright on the source code that you've created. And therefore, if you put your, for example, your software on GitHub and don't provide a license with it, well, you, you provided the world with your source code. They can see it. They can review it. And that's pretty much all they can all they can do. They cannot use it because you haven't provided them with a license with the rights to use your copyright. So that's where open source came in. It was a way to make sure that you were providing the necessary rights to potential users to do what they needed to do with, with your software, whether it's using it, uh, distributing it, installing it. <laughs> At some point, it was, it was even integrated in some old licenses. It was a way to making sure that you were providing users with the necessary rights to your copyright. And at some point, it even went further than that. And that's why sometimes you even see some discussion regarding patent in open source licenses, where it's specifically mentioned that if you are using the open source components in a solution that you want to patent, you can do it. And these are the specific terms that will apply to your patent. And maybe you'll need to offer some, some kind of license to the copyright owners, to other users of, of the open source solution. But yeah, mainly the main idea behind open source in any case is that at the beginning of it all, there is someone creating source code on which they have copyright. Then they decide to license it. And if they decide to use an open source license, then all we've discussed before kind of came into the light. The important thing is making sure that you use it properly. And that's where sometimes people don't kind of like uh, do this, their, their due diligence. They just see open source. They think, oh, it's free. I can use it. Sure, mm. you can use it. But there might be some mechanism behind it that would prevent you from having like the best commercialization or could force you to even put you in, in a situation where you are breaching some of your contracts with certain clients, certain service provider. So yeah, open source, great tool, can be a very, very, very useful tool to boost your, your code production. Just make sure to use it properly. That's pretty much what I'm always saying. 
Most of the time, you can find lists of uh, specific open source licenses that are recognized and established. But it's also always possible to find homebrew licenses where you kind of see people create their own uh, open source license and <laughs> put the open source in quote. Well, they'll take some of the criteria and leave others out of the table. And so that's why it's always important to refer to the 10 criteria itself, themselves and the license just to make sure to know what we accept and what we uh, agree with rather than just reading a definition of what is open source and say, oh, it's an open source license. So this is what should be included inside of it without the need of reading it. That's always my caveat. Make sure to read the license itself. An important difference to make is between free software and open source software, which is not the same thing. Uh, free software has kind of a philosophical and political purpose where you choose a specific open source license because you want to encourage the diffusion of knowledge. You want to make sure that everyone will be able to access the source code and everyone who modifies the source code is obligated of making sure that this, this modified source code and the work that you've put into this new version will be available to everyone else. And that's usually the idea behind the Free Software Foundation and the new GPL licenses. But at the opposite of the specter, there is the open source, which is qualified more as a method of developing and distributing a software where you decide to offer the source code with an open source license for various reasons, because you want to create a community around the software, because you want to make shows, show the world how good you are at coding. But it's not always with the idea to, I want to say, create and propagate knowledge. Maybe sometimes you just want to show off and let people do whatever whatever they want with, with your software. So yes, there is always this slight distinction between free software, which is kind of political, philosophical, and open source, which is more uh, a means to an end. And that's why usually we tend to say that free software is always open source, but open source is not always free software. Mm. You can be using open source, and we hear about where the ownership of the open source becomes kind of like a confusion. So you, people have used open source, they've built a lot of assets upon it, and then they can be subject to almost like an open source infection where using open source can become a problem. You can be using an open source that has been somewhat orphanage in a support sense. So I was wondering if you could talk about some of the pitfalls and some of the things that you should watch for if you're thinking about using open source. Yeah, there are two kinds of, um, I'd say, pitfalls. The biggest one and the one I think people think of the most is uh, regarding IP and proprietary IP. Because as you mentioned, in specific, in certain open source license, there are what we call the copyleft mechanism. Sometimes we speak about contamination. It's the same term. It covers the same uh, the same ID. And the idea behind this mechanism is you can use an element, you can distribute it, you can modify it, you can distribute the modified version, as long as any derivative work that you make using this element is made available under the same open source license. So that's the copyleft mechanism. The idea that you can use my my code, you can create something with it, but what you create needs to be made available under the same open source license that I've been using. Mm. Pretty simple as, as it is. Makes sense most of the time. 
Where the issues lie is as to how exactly it will compute and link to any kind of proprietary code that you will create, and especially if you integrate it with an existing solution. So, for example, I'll take my, my text editor uh, IDs before. I created the very good text editors. It's all proprietary software. I've been creating the entirety of the code. Everything is good. Out of the blue, I see this very cool new function that allows me to predict the next word that you're going to be typing. It's made available under an open source license with a copyleft mechanism. Okay, I'll take this line of code, integrate it into my software and start distributing it. What happens here is that I've potentially created a derivative work of the open source component of the open source mm -hmm. code by integrating it into my proprietary solution. So what I should do after that is making sure that all the code of my text editor even the code that I've created before integrating the open source element should be made available to anyone who has access to this new version. And that's where usually the copyleft mechanism is worrisome, is that mm -hmm. suddenly you are forced to make sure that all of the code that you've created yourself and on which you have the copyright and you remain and you still have the copyright, but you are locked in a position where you must Make sure that the code source of yours, this new version, this new derivative work is made available under this new open source license, which can be a problem if you, are, if you were selling it before, because suddenly someone is able to access this new version, the source code of it, and they are allowed to modify it and redistribute it without you being able to claim any kind of fee, any kind of royalty. So that's where usually is a big danger lies. It's with this copyleft licenses. Mm. When you try to advise people as to what kind of license they, they can use, permissive license should be okay most of the time. Weak copyleft license, okay, should be okay. Just be careful as what you do with it. Copyleft license, red flag, be very careful. There, there might be some big issue down the line. Um, I'd say that that's the main IP risk with open source. There are also other other pitfalls, like uh, like you mentioned. First, the, the less important one, but one that I that I like to to underline um, still, is the fact that some specific licenses restrict the use as a commercial use of their components. So sometimes you're like, oh, there is no copyleft mechanism. It's all good. I can I can move forward with it, and it's a very kind of weird open source license, maybe a homebrew one, and they prevented the commercial use of the components and then you're locked. So as always, make sure to refer to what is actually said in the license itself. And as you mentioned, there also the issue of, of support of what kind of elements or codes that you are using. Has it been updated? Has it been maintained? Is it something that has been on the internet since, I don't know, 2012? No one has been making sure that it's still up to date and safe to use. So always making sure that you are not using something that's been abandoned for too long. Same goes with using what we call in cybersecurity weak elements. Because as always, it's, it's like in a chain. You are as weak as, as your weakest uh, elements. So if you integrate something that is suddenly could be the target of potential like cyber attacks, Maybe integrating open source is not the solution. Maybe you should find an alternative, whether it's creating something, maybe it's another open source uh, components. 
as we mentioned before, usually when there is any kind of cybersecurity issues with an open source component, it will be publicized and it will be highly publicized even. There has been, when we registered this podcast, some some news about some libraries that uh, that have been like a potential target to, to specific attacks. And it's uh, been, when I say highly publicized, that even, even I'd say, uh, general media has touched upon it and said, oh, th- this is an issue and this is why some of the websites that you've been using are down because everyone was kind of freaking out. So rather than correcting it or waiting or while waiting for a solution, it was easier to take down the website or the solution rather than to be a potential risk to cybersecurity attack. And other specific pitfalls that starts to appear, especially with SaaS solution, is relicensing. Relicensing is very specific to open source software. And the idea is that you've been providing a software under the MIT license, so a very permissive license, which should not be of any kind of concern to you. So you are like, okay, I can use it. It does not present any kind of risk. So you've been using it for the past, I don't know, three years. And suddenly the new version, version 4.10, for example, is being relicensed. So what it means is that instead of being made available under the MIT license, they say, oh, now it's going to be available under the GPL license. Oh, suddenly it's a copyleft license. So, oh, there is a concern. But if you are just updating the software, making sure that it's always up to date because you don't want to be uh, subject to any kind of cybersecurity risk, you could update the software and then suddenly contaminate your code where you're like, oh, there is an issue. We've been providing the software with some open source elements that are being licensed under a new license and one that we don't want to use. So it's a specific concern. Usually when they relicense, it's highly uh, advertised. They they make posts about it. They need to explain why they relicense. And people will usually let you know beforehand. But still, it's it should be an issue because there is always someone somewhere who will just click on the update button without reading any kind of warning or any kind of, of documentation. And that could be a concern if you don't catch it early enough, I'd say. If you are using also very like different kind of open source elements and you fuse them together, it can also be an issue because not all open source licenses are compatible. Very specific, very complicated discussion, but still a concern, a pitfall to, to have in mind. And same goes with the creation of forks. Sometimes the creators of a specific open source project will, I don't know, not uh, not be friends anymore at some point down uh, down the line. And you'll have two versions of the same software, a fork, where you'll have, I don't know, version A and version B, uh, which are both based on the same, I'd say, metrics, general metrics, mm. but they will offer like different features, different <laughs> positive and negative points. So maybe making sure that you use the correct version is also an issue. And sometimes it's it's difficult because both present like good options. A very specific pitfall, but one that happens more and more, especially if the project is growing bigger and bigger, because usually it means integrating more and more people into the development of the core solution. So yeah, like we mentioned, the general idea behind open source is to think about it beforehand, being proactive to prevent serious problem. And 
making sure that you are up to date as to what you're using, how you're using it to kind of prevent the discovery of an issue when there is an audit or due diligence, because otherwise it's going to have like very difficult consequences, whether it's a transaction being canceled, uh, lawsuits by your client, customers that leaves you, a drop in asset value or even bad press because you have been not uh, meeting the terms of, of an open source license. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a good tool. Just be careful with it. If you talk to someone who's thinking about using open source, what would be the key considerations that you would share with companies that are trying to decide whether or not to use open source? There are usually four practical things that you can do to minimize the risk, or at least making sure that you are up to date as to open source components in your solution. The first one, and usually the biggest one, is to create and establish an open source policy. And it should always be tailored to the reality of your company. So it means you need to review what you are currently doing internally with open source. Uh, developers using it? Is it something that's been prevalent? Are your employees uh, familiar with what it is, what it implies, or are they just avoiding it because they know that it could be a problem? If there is any open source components, make sure to audit what is being used. Is it integrated in your proprietary solution? Are there just tools that you are using for, I don't know, some some internal use of, uh, of for internal use? Mm-hmm. And maybe make aware the different stakeholder within your company that you're creating a policy and this policy should be easy to read. So it should not be something very legal. It should be more practical as to, okay, we want you to use open source license, open source components, because it's it's good. It reduces development time. It reduces development costs. But we want to make sure that it does not create a risk. So here are kind of the caveats, the way that you can go forward with it. And one of the ways that you can do it to make sure that it's very easy and very easy to read and easy to use is to create a list of pre-approved license and say that, okay, if you use, for example, an MIT uh, license components, you can go forward, no need to ask permission. If you find this under this license, be careful. We might need some more information. If you find this under this license, don't use it. It's a risk for me. So the policy is usually the biggest of the work, but once it's done, you usually have a clear picture as to what what is being done and what can be done in the future. After that, there are three kind of tools that you can use uh, to make sure that you stay up to date. First is to have an approval process in place. Same approval should be simple, quick, efficient. It can be integrated into the policy, but the main idea is that your policy will probably not cover every kind of possible situation that you might see regarding open source. So having kind of an approval process in place is to make sure that, okay, if someone has a question, if someone needs an approval, if someone needs to to check with the higher hubs, they know how to do it and they know whom to ask pretty much. The, the idea is also to create kind of an internal jurisprudence on open source so that if someone sees, okay, this specific license, the Mozilla, uh, Mozilla license, for example, is not mentioned in our policy, but we've been accepting it like in the past, Maybe it's okay. I'll just check. It's it's going to be simple. Just an email to someone with, hey, can I use this here? Yes. 
And by the way, we've been accepting it in this other solution that we've been developing. Okay, sure, you can go forward and we'll we'll take note of it. So having an approval process is to make sure that you are still up to date and remain up to date and don't need to have a policy that is, I'd say, 50 pages. <laughs> that is too long and too complicated to read. And the last two are more practical. You should create and maintain an open source registry where you list all of the open source elements and software that you are using, the versions that you are using, where it can be downloaded, whether it's a registry, the GitHub registry, where, or if it's a website, and the license that applies to the specific version that you are using. And the goal is to make sure that if at some point someone has a question, whether it's during an audit, whether it's during a due diligence, or whether because we want to check and make sure that, that everything is clear, that you don't have to go through this entire process of auditing what is being done and making sure that everyone is up to date as to, okay, we've been using a lot of open source, here are the different licenses, and have kind of an overall picture as to what is being used and maybe sometime even encourage developer to use such elements because if they see that everyone is using it and they are not, maybe some of them will be like, okay, maybe I'm missing out on something. And it's important to have the necessary information because it can also allows you to, to make sure that, for example, there is no relicensing. If you knew that, okay, the previous version was under this license, you double check and you see, oh, this, this, the update is actually being relicensed. Maybe we will stay under the older version or create our own version, who knows? And the final one is is very practical make sure to update any kind of open source components of soft or software. Because when we speak about open source compared to proprietary software, the responsibility to update uh, lies on the user. Very rarely of, for software, they are not going to be like an automated update process. So you need to make sure that you are using the last version. And it could be an issue because otherwise it could create potential like cybersecurity risks or even like put your customer at risk if they are using an out-of-date uh, component in, in the solution you're providing to them. It's also important to make sure that if you hear about a vulnerability, to check immediately if you can be the target of it. And that's why having a, a complete and maintained registry is important because maybe you'll hear about like this new library that is very, very dangerous and check and be like, oh, we are not using it. So no need to worry about that. Having also an updated registry is also the opportunity to make sure that you update your open source components accordingly. If you mark the date in your registry of when you, you updated something, you can make sure to check in one month and be like, okay, we've updated everything each month someone has checked. It might also be a good practice to make sure that it's safe to use what you are currently using. Mm. Very active and even proactive management of your open source? You need to be proactive. It's not as easy as a, as a tool as proprietary software where you can just kind of install it and forget about it. Mm. But as we said, it's also free. So there should be some kind of, of balance, I'd say. Yeah. What can you learn more about open source? Good question. Most of the time when people ask me that, I'll say there is lots of online resources, whether they are offered by different organizations promoting the use of open source. We, we've spoken about open source institution. Uh, there is a free software foundation, uh, whether it's articles, books, conferences, presentation, just general articles. There are lots of, lots of stuff 
available online, whether it's it's also very general or under or on specific licenses. It can be technical. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Most people in the open source community are very friendly and very willing to teach people. Uh, if you are a developer, do not hesitate to contribute. As always, the community is always willing to teach. Um, most of my dev friends will tell you that it's also a good tool to, to train yourself or to learn new skill. As always, be aware of what you find regarding some analysis of specific licenses. Most of the stuff that is written about open source is not written by lawyers. Most of the time they are written by either the person who created a specific open source license or the, the company or the organization using it for their solution. And sometimes you'll find some, some FAQ that will tell you, okay, this is how we interpret the license. As always, refer to the license itself. Sure, keep in mind the FAQ because it will give you an insight as to what they try to do uh, with this license. But keep in mind that most of the time it's not written by a lawyer. So maybe have someone with legal expertise double check to make sure that it's all right or that it's not an issue. I mentioned the FAQ. They are also very, very good tool to understand like the practicality of open source. Most of the organization or company using open source will have some kind of policy FAQ to explain why they are using it. What's the intended goal? Is it to provide knowledge? Is it to uh, look out for potential recruits? Uh, will we be annoying if you uh, if you don't mention us in our credits? What needs to be done from a practical standpoint? Because sometimes the, the licenses themselves are not as easy to read as it is. And finally, if you want maybe to learn more, but it's only in French, sadly, we've given an open source, a presentation in 2020 on open source and good practices, and it's available online on the Robic website. Thank you, Jules, for sharing so much valuable information, both to users of open source, potential users of open source, and to creators of open source. It has been a real pleasure. Thanks for sharing your knowledge. My pleasure. Happy to share. It's, the un it's in the open source spirit. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You've listened to Canadian IP Voices, where we talk intellectual property. In this episode, Jules Godin at law firm Rabic explained what open source software is, along with a range of important things to consider if you plan to use it. If you're curious to learn more about the different types of open source licenses that are commonly used, visit choosealicense.com. Maybe you're thinking about launching your own open source project or want to contribute in the open source community. You will find guides and information at opensource.guide.